Welcome to the Foul Life, the Canada edition. Good day. Chad Building has assembled a motley crew of waterfowl misfits, and thanks to federal premium Black Cloud, they're dropping ducks and geese like rain north of the border. Was the amount of birds mind blowing? Yeah, no, I've never like been to a place where you can hunt ducks, specks, Canada geese, snows, all at the same time. Chad Building is the romantic caller. The thing that turned me on to waterfowl hunting was the intimacy, the negotiation with the bird, and the conversation, the jargon, the vocabulary, the vocalizations. Blake Famey is the trigger man. I, I think. That's why I love clay shooting, I love duck hunting, anything I can just keep pulling the trigger year round, like, I'm in. And Tommy Miller is the head of quality control. Like, I want the ducks to do it right. Feet down, back flapping, doing the whole thing, right in your grill, where you want them to do it, it's the best. The Foul Life is proudly brought to you by Benelli, Bandit, Yukonuba, Jack Daniels, Traeger, The Provider, Mojo Outdoors, Kershaw Knives, and Corning Ford. So let's crank it up, pour some Jack, and kick back, because Chad, Blake, and Tommy are coming at you in three, two, one. Did you have fun today? Yeah. First time ever in a Canadian field? Yep. I mean, you're like giving me one word short answers, but <laughs> was it everything you thought? I mean, I mean, was the amount of birds mind blowing? I mean, yeah, you, you find in Arkansas, you see a lot of snows flying around, but that yeah. was that was pretty powerful. Yeah, no, I've never like been to a place where you can hunt ducks, specks, Canada geese, snows all at the same time. Like in Arkansas, you know, you go out in the morning, shoot your ducks, go in the afternoon, hunt specks. Like it's never like a combined thing. So like it's cool to do all of that at the same time in a dry field. In a dry field. Big Which is very, very foreign to me. And laying in the decoys like that, Blake's pretty cool. When you're in the, amongst the decoys, we're laying in whites. We got our Max Prairie wings laid back pretty much like a beach chair, you know, a recliner. So comfortable. You're laying there. Even when the birds aren't flying, you can kind of relax and enjoy the, the scenery. And then when the birds come... What I was surprised is they really don't see you as much as you think, right? So you're you're looking up at the sky, but we're so well hidden with the whites on. Mm-hmm. We got the socks and the silhouettes, and then the decoys close to us, and it's like you're invisible. Yeah, I mean, you think about hunting down at Rockies in December, January. You're in Tyvek's paint suits amongst a bunch of snow goose full bodies. He runs mainly full bodies with some rags or some socks that, you know, when the wind hits them, you know, he puts those around the hunters. But those birds are way more educated by the time they get down there. And you're still decoying speckle. I think specks decoy better in Arkansas and California than they do in Canada. I would agree. I think today, too, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at these birds. I got no face paint on. And I, all I'm thinking is, how are they not seeing me? Yeah. But they didn't. I mean, there were birds that I thought were going to land on us today. Yeah. Feet out, just coming in hot. I mean, you're in Canada, and they're, they haven't been hunted. And you're in northern Alberta, pretty close to northern Alberta, and you're you're the first farmland they see, you know, this is the first place they stop really. Like to your point, when you say like they're harder to hunt in Arkansas and California than they are here or the opposite. I think in Arkansas, at least we've gotten like away from laying in whites and laying in the fields, even with like layout blinds brushed up very well. Like we've gotten away from that because like they're so good there. They pick you out. So we've gone to like a frames and like, that kind of edge hunting. hunting yeah edge hunting because like you can't lay anywhere and they'll see you even today they're picking us out but especially and in arkansas we hunt off some levees in california and you'll get them and it's if you know if it's a mode levee they have a hard time you can run your decoys over that levee mm-hmm. i've hunted them on non-mode levees you know and you have the tall grass and you kill them but laying in, there ain't nothing like laying in them in california you know in a white tyvek suit yeah I, I would think it would work in arkansas too but one thing that really bugs me about the Arkansas speck hunting, and you know where I'm going with this, is it's just ridiculous. How Party many, hunting. It's terrible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you've got like that. What is it like? Especially early season. What's the early biggest group you've seen? 75 people. 75 people in one hunt. Wow. Shooting in a group. people. And the limit's only two birds? Mm-hmm. Two birds. Is that even worth going out sometimes? I mean, you're setting up a big spread to kill two birds? I mean, and, and the thing about it, too, is like those guys that are doing those 75-person hunts, it's all like outfitters too. They're like so, joining up, right, on a field. Yeah, it's like two or three outfitters that get together, and when they get together, then then you have to think. You know, you've got one outfitter has ten dudes, another outfitter has twenty dudes, another outfitter has twenty dudes. So like 30, 40 of those people like 
chances are they aren't as experienced and know like what they're doing and where to shoot, when to shoot. And it's just becomes a huge, like it's almost dangerous. It's what they do. It's going to ruin hunting. Yeah. It's not, it's dangerous. It's unethical. It's, and everybody's going to be like, well, who do you think you are? If it's legal, then do it. Well, dude, you're talking three shells times. Mm -hmm. Let's just say there's 50 hunters in a field, which I've seen not been on. I've seen, you know, people send me photos. So 50, Times three is 150 shells, and there's probably 150 BBs minimum in each shell. Yeah. Do the math. And all they get a picture at the end with a ton of dead geese in it. Mm-hmm. That can't be enjoyable for a hunter to not know if he or she is hitting the geese they're shooting at. Every time they come in, they're getting mowed. I'm not saying they're not calling somebody out or taking turns, but even when you take turns with that many people in the field, it's 20 people shooting at a time. Yeah, That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a lot. So we don't need to go down that road, but... Tonight's hunt was neat because we got to get with Dave Stanley again. Mm-hmm. And Dave is, you know, he's been a huge mentor to me and really got me into duck hunting and duck calling way back in, I started duck hunting when I was 27. So 27 years old, I'm 48 now. So 21 years ago would have been 2000. So it was about 1999, 2000 when I got into it. And Dave, and, that, and he was the first one that really taught me how to blow a duck call. And I'd go to his fly shop and practice and practice and practice. Then started competing. His son, John David, is a legend in the sport, you know, in the competition calling in duck and goose. But what'd you guys think of that? Like he's, his trailer, his organization, his, it was pretty legit, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, that whole trailer's decked out, every decoy silhouette, sock, white suit, mm-hmm. uh, mojo, whatever you got, everything has a spot, it's labeled. Uh, very well organized. Yeah. Uh, really it's a tight, tight ship, for sure. Yeah. I like what you asked Dave tonight. You said, hey, do you still enjoy this as, as much as you did 20 years ago, let's say? And he, I think he had a great answer. He says, I just appreciate it more and more every year. And I think as yeah. you get older, you start to really respect and learn more about hunting and the birds and the migration. Uh, so I really... It's not like he said, oh, you know, I don't get fired up as much as I did when I got when I was younger. But I think appreciating hunting mm-hmm. as you get older is, is important. At your age, Tommy, you're 28. 29. At 29, are you still a piles make smiles guy? Or have you no. hunting with different people? Do you find a, a really strong appreciation for this lifestyle and in our right to hunt at your age? I mean, yeah, it's awesome when you can go out with 10 dudes, shoot your limited ducks. It's great. But... If they don't do it right, it doesn't matter. Like, if you can go out with five, six dudes, go in the woods, go in a field here in Alberta, and the ducks do it right, you trick them, they think they're going into actual live feed, and you can trick them, I think that's, like, more fulfilling than anything. Like, you could could almost not kill your limit. I mean, don't. If you don't kill your limit, that's great. Well, there was but, times I didn't even like, go it up. It doesn't even matter. Just doesn't watching matter. the birds just come watch, in. Just incredible. watch them do it and like make them do it right and have them do it properly is way better than any sort of limit or pile pick or kill pick that you can get. Like, that's so much better. Just watching those birds come in, I think, is, like, the biggest joy for me. I mean, we've all shot a lot of birds. We've shot limits, yeah. you know, and, like, whether it be the piles make you smile kind right. of hunter, but... For me, I love shooting ducks and geese, but but also just having those birds come in mm-hmm. and, and watching them work the way they do up here. Like yeah. we're talking feet out in your yeah. face. Like when you shoot, you got to make sure they don't hit you before you move on to the second <laughs> right, one. Right. I mean, that's just incredible. I mean, and one thing I love about hunting with Chad is he's not a pass shooter, right? He wants to ha- have those birds in his face yeah. landing, and he really enjoys the whole wants, aspect from calling the bird right. to wants decoying. To and, you know, it's not like let's shoot a, a crossing bird at 80 yards yeah. in Salem, right? I mean, this is like the highest level of like an educated, respectful hunter here. Yeah. So I really It's about, it. like, like, to me, it's doing it right. Like, I want the ducks to do it right. Like, hunt in Arkansas, if they land 40 yards off the hole, like, yeah, you can shoot them. And that's great. But, like, you want them to do it right in front of you, feet down, back flapping, doing the whole thing right in your grill where you want them to do it. It's the best. There's nothing better than that. And that's, to me, that's more important and better than any sort of pile pick or killing all your ducks, killing your limit. It's way better. Like, I'll I'll go out in the woods and watch them all do it over here. That's fine. But if they do it right 
It's great. To get those piles, let those birds do that extra yeah. uh, turn. Let them finish on the decoys. You're right. going to get bigger piles, right? Yeah. If you're hit, shooting them on the first pass and, and mm-hmm. literally like sky like first, busting, you're going to get maybe a couple and it's going to take you that much longer and you're wasting shells, yeah. right? But I think decoy and the birds, letting them come in is mm-hmm. one of those important things. And if those birds are not coming in, yeah. like what's your spread look like, right? Yeah. Are those silhouettes shining? And yeah, do we need to move something? What do we need to do? Sometimes we need to change something? Yeah. Right. Maybe you got to move the mode. We need to move, move, de- move decoys. Do we, or are they seeing us? Do we need to cover up a little bit more? Like something like that, yeah. And I think the common mistake is people go, oh, they're not coming in, they're not finishing, so let's just start sky busting. Yeah. No, think about no. your spread. Think about what's and going on. And then if you sky bust them too, like you're just educating those birds. And it's making it harder for it'll make it harder for you in the long run as well as everybody else. So like if you just do it right and let them actually do it, then you kill your birds and you get a better I don't outcome think in the any end. Gratification of seeing hitting a bird at seventy yards and watching it helicopter down. No, I mean if you really like that part of the game, then go to a sporting clays course. Yeah, go challenge yourself on a hundred clays and see if you can shoot in the seventy mid seventies or low eighties. You know, like yeah. there, there's ways to challenge your shooting, like to do it on an animal and take that responsibility and mm-hmm. being okay if a BB hits him and he's got to go live in pain. Like, again, that sounds dramatic, but it is. That's literally a living animal. Yeah. And you you owe it to that animal and hit to the compassion to kill. And you're making it harder on your dog, too. Yeah. And your dog's a conservation tool, which they right. did great tonight. Yeah. Phil and Duff did great. But but I, I just don't find the, the gratification. I never have. The thing that turned me on to waterfowl hunting was the intimacy. The negotiation with the mm-hmm. bird and the conversation, the jargon, yep. the vocabulary, the vocalizations. There's nothing cooler than turning a group of mallards with your call. And you talk about the spread and getting up and changing the spread. Well, I watched those birds reaction tonight and I could, you know, I mean, is the, the more you hunt, the more you get experienced in this is reading posturing and body mm-hmm. language. And I can tell within five seconds, three seconds, if we got a chance to kill that flock. The way they posture, the way they move their wingtips, the way they move their necks, the way they, you know, the speed of their wings, wing beats is like easy to read when you've done it enough times. Yeah. Where a lot of people would be like freaked out of like, well, why aren't they coming in? We should be decoying all these. Well, the reason we didn't tonight is because of lighting. Yeah. And people freak out in lighting. The, the sun's wild. coming up and the birds aren't doing it. And they're like, we need to change it. We need to move it. I'm like, no, it's like the sun is everything mm-hmm. in waterfowl hunting. And I know in California and places, Maybe Arkansas, Louisiana, you can have a really good snow goose hunt with a low ceiling and winds and a stormy day. You know, snow geese are up moving around. But I don't want to hunt mallards in, in a cloudy day. No. I don't want to hunt speckle bellies in a cloudy day. Never. They can pick you apart. You have no advantage. And from the sky, they can see everything. So for you to be in Alberta with mojos, and those new mojo mallards are awesome. Mm-hmm. And their wing beat and their frequency and their speed is and their rotation is awesome. For mallards not to do it over that in a dry field is all lighting. If we had sunshine today, yeah. you decoy every one of those ducks. Yeah. And we decoyed our fair share. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them picked us apart because, dude, we're laying there with white skin. Some of us had our faces out. I was pulling my hoodie like up like this and keeping my call like right here and trying to hide as much as I could. Yeah. But we had three, five, six grown men laying in a decoy spread. In amongst the, the, the socks and the, in the silos and the, in the silhouettes and the full bodies, if you had sun and you had shadows, you kill a lot more birds. Yeah, 100%. The wind is the best. You got to have wind and you got to have sun. Mm-hmm. Now, some people say that on a dome, you always hear Rocky say the word dome. You don't want a dome. High domes are terrible. Yeah. You're in a rice field. Which we call I'm, that high gray. Yeah. High gray, a high, high dome. Gray, it's yeah. terrible. Yeah. It's, it's the worst. And, and then you add no it's wind. Worse. You add no wind on that. You might as well sleep in. Hygra. Hygra. So it, so let's talk <laughs> about worst. that for a second. <laughs> it's the worst. You say a lot of weird things, like, and we know you're in the wolf pack, but is there <laughs> is there a special vocabulary that you've come up with? Because you, like, Dave looked at me today and he's like, what is, why does he keep talking about koi? And I'm like, that's how Tommy says decoys. Yeah. Like, they're in the koi, right? Or, like, people know, like, I don't, the end of the word koi and decoy or koi hill in Lynchburg, Tennessee, where the distillery is and where Tommy works. Um, it's fun. It's like the way you say yeah, stuff just, is, yeah, it's just, they're loving it. They're loving it. It's He's, just like an easy way to like say words that are longer and it's silly. And like with my group of dudes, like it's just like funny and it's kind of a joke, you know, but it's like, it's fun. And like, once you pick up on it, like even like, like you're talking about the koi, 
like it just makes sense. Like, oh, that's the koi. They're in the koi. It's great. So it's just silly, dude. Talk to me a little bit, Blake and Tommy, about the effort and the amount of work that goes in to what we just did. Okay. And I, and again, this is what we do and we love it. It's 1030 at night right now. And we're filming, I mean, recording a podcast. We filmed the total hunt today, but from the time we met Dave Stanley to drive out to that field and his brother, Alan. Yeah. We met him at what? One o'clock. One o'clock. And how intense. And we got back at nine. Yeah. Now, Part of that's hunting, and you're, but hunting's work. Mm-hmm. You're always watching. You're on. You're focused. You're calling. You're flagging. You're working your dog. You're up and you're down, and you're up and you're down, and you're whatever. But that decoy spread was intensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we hunted until legal shooting light because we were having a good time. We could have quit 15 minutes early, but the birds were still doing it. We were still killing yeah. a few birds. But that was an intensive decoy spread, not because it was the sheer numbers of it, which was a lot. No. We had silhouettes, we had vortex, we had kites, we had full bodies, we had full body mallards, full body geese, full body specks, full body Silhouette. snows, silhouettes. We had it all. No. Then you had the blinds. No. Then you had the e-collar system, which is legal up here in Canada for snow geese. And then you got to break all that down in the dark. Yeah. And you're exhausted. I mean, I'm not making excuses. I just want you guys to talk to me about how intensive that is. And we live for it. Well, majority of my hunting has been in the Calusa, Gridley, Sacramento Valley area in California. And it's flooded rice fields. So we'll put decoys out at the beginning of the season. And we're floating 200, 250 duck decoys, 50, you know, spec uh, decoys as well. But we put them out. And we don't touch those decoys unless we want to make some minor adjustments. But we're really not touching those decoys till the last weekend of the season. So we're floating them all season. And you go out, you hunt. And so it's minimal work as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. But, like, putting these decoys in and out, in and out, I mean, it is uh, work. But it definitely pays off when you get into the birds. But but I think everybody knowing what to do in their tasks, like, hey, you get this, the full bodies, you get the silhouettes, hey, you grab the guns. I mean, everybody is, is a worker bee out there mm-hmm. getting it done. And I think as every, everybody works together, you actually knock it out, out pretty quick. But uh, it's definitely labor but it's pays off intensive, for sure. And it's like, it's nice when you have a group of dudes like today, a group of guys that like kind of get it and they know what like the task is. Like you were saying, you know, you grab this, you grab this, take it out there. What we're going to do is we're going to have a big, you know, big U shape, essentially. We're going to do that and it's fine. That's great. And it works, but like it's difficult, especially when you have a group of guys that like don't really know what they're doing. And you have to, like, tell them what to do every step of the way, whether it's putting out full bodies or silos or we're going to put flags on top of you or we're going to have um, the kites and everything, like, on top of you or over here. And that's how we hide. It becomes labor-intensive. And it takes a while to do all that. I mean, it took us, what, an hour to pick up everything, at least? At least. And you're tired. You're hungry. You want to get back. You know, you got a clean. And then on top of that, you get back and we had, Mm -hmm. we, they took their birds. We took ours. We, we cleaned Mm -hmm. 38 birds just now. I counted them, the carcasses. Yeah. You're going to do a recipe tomorrow. Then you got to clean that. And now we put them in water and they're draining and Mm -hmm. getting all the feathers and the blood out of them. It's like freaking next level intensive work yeah we've all cleaned a lot of birds but tonight i gotta get a new knife because that kershaw knife you're using man that thing cuts the, the breath so well it just makes life way easier sharp knives there. yeah that little yeah. knife i was using was a lot of people awesome. think a, a sharp knife is dangerous a dull knife is dangerous a dull knife's dangerous for sure because you're the all, sharper the better the sharper the better because sure. you can be so precise with yeah it. for sure so talk to me a little bit about the hunt part of it as far as you get out there and you're like Look at this country. This field is huge. Trucks pull in and you actually pick a spot. Yeah. All right. Here's a little bit of a a gradient. Here's a little bit of a vantage point. Here's a little bit of something to where we can come off this backside a little bit and put our blinds on the downslope side of this to where the birds approach us and they're climbing a little bit. Whatever. You're always analyzing. And that's what I love that part of the hunt is like all of a sudden it's, it's, I compare it to like a Blake canvas and a painter's there with all of his oils or her oils and he's just throwing paints at this thing. Create his masterpiece. That's how I've always talked about create your own hunt. And all of a sudden, these decoys start coming out of the trailer after the trailer doors open. 
And then Dave's putting out a couple socks way down here, your snow goose, to put that line to, you know, to bring them into the kill hole. And then a really big body upwind to where they're trying to get to. Mojos are going to go here and the blinds are going to go here. And we're going to have socks and silos around our blinds to hide, like, and you see it all come together. If you could run a time lapse of that, which we've done that a bunch of times, it's really cool to know that that blank field goes into for lack of better terms, it's like canvas. it's a canvas, like a, it's your hunt canvas. Yeah. It's a canvas. You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. so neat to see that come together. Yeah. And I don't think that people take enough time to appreciate that because they're always like, just get it out, get it set up. Let's kill them, throw the blocks here. No, man, that is the coolest part of the hunt is the scouting, the decoys, the concealment, the way that you get those birds to get tight mm-hmm. and not settling for 40 yard shots. Mm-hmm. When it shows because we had majority of our birds literally coming in the same spot, landing on what we call the X, right in the, the right. center of our spread. Like Fifteen, and that's yards. literally us putting our strategy to work and saying, "Hey, we're going to put the decoys like this to get the birds here," and they did. So yeah. what we're doing, we, we were on top of it. Like we were definitely on to, to something today. Do you guys enjoy every part of the hunt? Let me ask oh, you yeah. that in a different way because I want the truth. Do you enjoy lazy hunts? Because there are there are some lazy hunts. Like think about a lazy hunt. Like Arkansas can be lazy. You can literally go on a boat ride with two dozen decoys. Depends on where you're at. And when they're in the woods, I, I'm just saying. Right. I, and I love flooded timber is my favorite hunting. Mm-hmm. But you don't put a ton of decoys out. No, it's not you a ton of work. To. You don't have. But what I'm saying is like, does this intensive work? Like this is a lot of work to get birds yeah, up here. For sure. You're not going to go out there and kill a it's bunch like of birds. A speck hunt at home, or like a snow goose hunt in Arkansas. I mean. Those are labor intensive. They're very difficult because you have to put out, you know, 10 dozen spec decoys on an average spec hunt. And that's normal. They're all silhouettes or even if they're full bodies, and that's fine. Um, snow goose hunting at home, you put out five, 600 decoys, pretty much like what we did today. And that's fine. But like when you're in the woods, you're right. You only put out, you know, we only carry two dozen decoys, three dozen at most. And then later in the season, you only put out a dozen. So, like, it's not difficult that way. But what can you is, scout what, flooded? Hold on, before you go any further, can you scout flooded timber? Like, when you're a public land hunter, like you and the wolf pack is, do you do you <laughs> do you scout it, or do you just go in there going? Yeah, yeah. in the woods. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Can we you actually it. like I mean, go it, in there? That, it, 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 it depends. Yeah, it depends. So, like, if we're in certain river bottoms, we can scout it. If we're in certain WMAs, like, we can't really. But say you hunted on today and you're not on the X. You know where those ducks are going because you watch them fly in whatever direction. And then you have a pretty good idea of where to go the next day. And then if they aren't there where you go the next day, then you have another better idea for the next day. So, like, you can't go in there after a certain time. Because it's public land and because of the rules that the AGFC has, you can't go in there and mill around or whatever because they want the ducks to, you know, be comfortable and do their thing. I mean, it just depends, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I've always just wondered, like, you talk about... It's tough. It's, you see which it's really direction tough. they're flying, but there's no way you can tell where they're no. going down at. No. You and, can hear rafts of ducks, but... No. And it's tough to find a raft of ducks like that, that you can actually hear them on the water. That's rare so when you with your personality tommy you're a laid-back dude you're really really just chill and i'm gonna ask blake the same question because but you've been to canada before we live in the states we have families we have friends we have girlfriends we have whatever it is right kids my daughter Alyssa. after today in this lifestyle up here how many days do you think you could spend in a row in canada for the september october season because pretty much November 1st, it's pretty close to being done. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you can't stay up here a little bit longer, but you're going to get froze out. So you're, it's going to be cold. It's going to be miserable. But how many days do you think or feel you two could stay up here in a row? Um, killing a lot of birds. I mean, or, <laughs> or just birds in general. Yeah. Right? But, I mean, if we're up here and we're getting skunked a few You don't days. get skunked in Canada. I'm not saying that you don't have to work for them, but the birds are here. Right. right. The birds are here. So my question to that is, can I bring Emily with me? Because if oh, I can bring her, if I can bring her with sure. me, 
Well, would she come? Unlimited. Would she come? Unlimited days. What what would she come though? (laughs) After today, after what I saw today and what we did today, unlimited days. But would she come? I'd put up, I'd set that spread, pick that spread up every day for You're not answering my question, Tommy. Would she come? Oh, of course. Would she fly in for like three days or would she come up and stay and like and and chill out during the day? She wouldn't love it. But she'd come. She, she wouldn't love, love it. it. She, you would want to stay close to like Toronto or Montreal or oh, the not, big no, Canadian that's, metropolis. That's too far east. No, shop. Well, you could go to. You could come here and go to Calgary. And Killam's got everything she needs, dude. <laughs> Name one thing: the spot shop, oh. or what is it? The stop, stop spot, they stop were nice. spot. Those, that family, yeah, they're nice great. They're, they're fantastic. They were. They're from the Philippines. They were fantastic. And they were so cordial, and their story and the food. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. It was awesome. They just catered to us, and yeah. they even said, "You bring your ducks here, and we'll cook some mm-hmm. up, and, and, and we'll and cook them make, for you. Cook them for you with some rice." Yeah. And I want to do that. We got to figure out a time that we can do that. Yeah. Because we're not here very long, and then we head back to Saskatchewan, and ten days just isn't enough in Canada. It's just not. You're going to get a rain day. Yeah. You're going to get a non-wind like day with a dome. Morning. You're going to have days that it's still hunting. Yeah. But ten days is like when we leave here next week in eleven to the twelve. So we're here twelve days this year. I've been up thirty at a time. That's the best. Yeah. Because you're just like eating ducks every day. This parking lot that y'all are staying right now, I've cooked a lot of duck right here. Lots of ducks and lessers, whatever. We're going to cook some tomorrow. We're going to cook ducks tomorrow. But do you, are you itching to get home? No, not at all. I mean, we've been up here for, what, a week now? I'm in no rush to get back. I think a lot of people come up here and do that four to five days, which is probably pretty normal. Uh, but so far, a week's been, been great. It's kind of actually gone really quick. Great hunts and good people. Good accommodations. So I don't think like a three or four or five day trip is enough, in my opinion. Like, did- I mean, I've only been here today, but what I saw today, you three, get used to four or five, three, four or five days. It's not enough. It's just not enough. Blake I mean, came up. Blake came up a couple of weeks ago before we got. He came on this trip with me. He came for three days. He flew from California up here, shot three days, and flew back. Yeah, it's the flights are easy. It's not hard. Yeah. Depending on where you live in the States, but you yeah. can get to Denver, Minneapolis, somewhere in those two cities, you're, you can get here pretty quick. Yeah. We can get a yeah. direct flight out of the Bay Area to Edmonton. So is that what you got? Yeah. Three and a half hours. That's just quick. Yeah. It's nothing. Dude, but like for me, like I kind of want to, I want to be like in it. You know what I mean? I want to like go out. I want to do the scout trips. I want to like do all of what Canada like has to offer. You know what I mean? Like drive around, you know, everybody that I know that comes up here, they go on four or five hour scout trips on it. Like one day they don't even hunt. They go on a scout trip. Just go look around and just watch. Five I mean, birds. the um like the amount of ducks and geese that are in this country is unbelievable. Like I want to go on those so if you come for a few days, like that's great, but you don't get to go do all the things that this has to offer. You know what I mean? hundred percent I know what you mean. Yeah. And that's the best part about working with either an outfitter like Grant Kuypers or coming in freestyle with a guy like Dave Stanley. And I've come up here with Fred Zink so many years in freestyle. Yeah. And it's great yeah. reading the plot. I mean, that mm-hmm. was way before on X and you sure. read plot maps and got phone numbers. Sure. And had coffee at the cafe or went and the combine comes to a stop and you go out there and shake hands with the farmer and ask permission. And I, I, I think we got told no one time in 15 years mm-hmm. in Canada to hunt birds. And I, that part that you're describing is why I love that part of it, getting to know yeah. the people, the locale. We've come up here and went to hockey games. We've done the uh, the curling. Mm-hmm. We went and did curling one night yeah. with a, a bunch of Saskatchewan people. We've done tons of cookouts. We've done concerts. We've done charity events. Like mm-hmm. Canada is awesome, but you can't do it in three days. It's like a know? different culture, you know, obviously. Slow down. It's a oh, different culture. A different, if you're coming up for three days of hunting and you're with an outfitter, you're only hunting. Scouting, they know where the birds are. Yeah. So they're putting you on the birds. And you're only hunting. But if you're going to come up and freestyle, like Chad said, yeah. then yeah, you got to come up and you, and you got to spend at least mm-hmm. half a day or a day scouting, finding the birds, kind of patterning them. Uh, so it's a totally different ball game, whether yeah. you're with an outfitter or you're coming up here uh, on a freestyle. And like that stuff to me is like, 
part of the fun. But you also like got to be scouting a good and, to come up here without course. outfitter, right? Like, yeah, of course. You got to know where to go, what what you're looking for, or you might just be wasting your time. So I think going with an outfitter, you're not only going to have a great hunting experience, but you can mm-hmm. learn a lot. Like you can yeah. you can ask questions, these guys. I mean, Grant Kuypers' crew and, and that whole staff. They're incredible. I mean, if I was new to hunting, that'd be one of the first places I go because mm-hmm. I would learn so much about how how to call a bird. What are you looking for? Why do you put those decoys there? Yeah. Why is the blind here? What's the wind doing? There's just so many positive things that a newer hunter could learn from. Comes out of it. Like bug paradise. Right. Thank you all for listening to the Foul Life Podcast. We'll be back with part two. Tommy Miller, Blake Famey, Chad Building. Peace. The Foul Life's Canada journey has just begun. just begun. Like what you asked Dave tonight, you said, hey, do you still enjoy this as much as you did 20 years ago, let's say? He had a great answer. He said, I just appreciate it more and more every year. And I think yeah. as you get older, you start to really respect, learn more about hunting and the birds and the migration. I think appreciating hunting as you get older is important. A special thanks to Oakley Sunglasses for protecting our windows to the world. To American Almond Beef for providing exceptional protein to endure long days a field and to rigid lights for eliminating the dark chad belding blake famey and tommy miller will return in a moment stay tuned gator coolers the drinkware the coolers the 45 the 70 the 110 on wheels keep that meat fresh keep those drinks cold ice for days the retention the design the attention to detail just how cool they are aesthetically it's just a great american brand out of the great state of louisiana the mcgee brothers my boy brian they are kicking butt the official cooler and drinkware of the foul life television and the foul life podcast i can't say enough i love opening a gator cooler and seeing it full of our bounty wings on if we're traveling possession limits only everything ethical but i love eating wild game and i love making sure that it's fresh and that's exactly what a gator cooler allows the hunter or fisher to do i don't take it for granted i travel with several of them in our trucks and trailers we have snacks in them we have drinks in them they come with cutting boards they do not leak they do not allow air into it their design is absolutely perfect and they are reinventing the way that people take care of their food their bounty and they support ducks unlimited california waterfowl association so many conservation agencies across the country you can find them at the nwtf convention in Nashville, Tennessee this coming February 2024 as part of our booth. We don't go anywhere without Gator. They are cold-blooded down to the core, the official cooler of the Foul Life Television and the Foul Life Podcast. Get you a Gator for this season. I promise you, it's going to keep your meat fresher. Looking for a high-quality truck accessory that's built to last? Look no further than Lear. With over 50 years of experience in the industry, these guys know what it takes to make your ride look and performance best. Whether you're looking for a fiberglass or aluminum cap, a hard or soft cover, or accessories to customize your truck, Lear's got you covered. Their products are made with only the best materials, and their innovative features provide added convenience and security for truck owners. Head over to Lear.com to explore their range of products and take your driving experience to the next level. Hey, everybody. You know we are a huge fan of Jack Daniels, not just their product, but their mission, their culture, Lynchburg, Tennessee, the people. And we want to introduce you to the Jack Daniels Single Barrel Program. Join us at jackdaniels.com and learn about the Single Barrel Program, visiting Lynchburg, Tennessee, participating in a barrel tasting, a whiskey tasting, picking your favorite flavor, whether it's the burn in your mouth, whether it's the maple, whether it's the different combination of flavors that you are going to experience in each of the distinct bottles of Jack Daniels Single Barrel. You're going to be able to choose the best one, your favorite one, and purchase that entire barrel. It all comes bottled in individual single barrel bottles. You get your own hanging name tag, brand tag, your logo on it. You can give them away as gifts. Go knock on the door of a landowner and say, thank you for letting me hunt your field. There's so many options with the Jack Daniels Single Barrel Program. We're proud to be part of it. We have introduced it to so many of our friends and family across the country, whether it was at a business, whether it was at a duck lodge, whether it was at a conservation event. It is truly an awesome program. Learn more about it at jackdaniels.com. The single barrel program we've been involved for the last five years i'm looking at two of my barrels right now we just got our 2023 barrel in the single barrel rye absolutely mesmerizing my brother clint's old fashions with it speak for themselves it's the jack daniel single barrel program check it out learn about it i hope you decide to visit lynchburg tennessee and get your own barrel thank you very much 
There's no rest for the weary on today's broadcast of The Foul Life, the Canada edition. We have work left to do. No, man, that is the coolest part of the hunt, is the scouting, the decoys, the concealment. I compare it to like a Blake canvas. The way that you get those birds to get tight. Helping us on our northern voyage is Avery Outdoors, Safari Club International, and Securit, Chad Belding, Blake Femi, and Tommy Miller. Everybody, what's up? We're back. Do you hunt waterfowl in many places besides Arkansas, Tommy? Not really. You you live in Nashville. Do you hunt mm-hmm. Tennessee waterfowl at all? I mean, maybe once a year I'll go up to like Real Foot. Which is west of Nashville. Yeah, but mostly Arkansas. Do you have any desire? I know we've hunted in, in California together. We've hunted mm-hmm. in Nebraska together. But do you have desire to like experience American continental United States waterfowling? Or are you... And the wolf pack, like it's flooded timber or it's nothing. Yeah, the wolf pack. It's always on the wolf pack. Or is it nothing? Like, (laughs) if we're not in flooded timber in Arkansas. No, I mean, no. I'm like, okay, let me rephrase that. I'm sorry to interrupt you. The 60 days of the Arkansas season, Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving, the week before Thanksgiving to January, whatever. Do you want to go anywhere else during those 60 days? Or would you want to get it all out of your system, like Canada in September, October, maybe an early teal hunt in South Texas? I mean, yes and no. Like, I, I love to go, like, experience new places, obviously. Like, Canada, when I went to Nebraska with you, that was incredible. Here is unbelievable. So, like, yes, I want to, like, go experience all of these places and, like, what duck hunting and duck geese hunting has to offer. But at the same time, like, I just know I'm missing out at home. Like, I know that the ducks are there. And the boys are killing. Let's give them an example. They're doing great. Last year. And and there is nothing, in my opinion, this today was incredible. It was the coolest shit that I've ever seen. No doubt. Maybe. But it doesn't compare to flooded timber. But nothing to me compares to flooded timber. I agree. When you can convince a hundred pack of green-headed mallards to come from a mile high into a hole that's the size of your dinner table. When they helicopter in the woods, like straight down. Into the woods, especially on public land, when there's 9,000 other dudes trying to do the same thing you're trying to do and you convince them to go to where you want to be, there's nothing in my mind that is better than that. I agree. It is the coolest thing on the planet. I agree 100%. Except for maybe a goblin turkey. <laughs> Not even close. Uh, I don't, oh, come on. I'm going to kick you out of the studio. <laughs> we had 100 specs coming up. I mean, that's an adrenaline rush. Oh, you man. went on a ski trip last year, right? In the, the thick of the – when I was smoking I in Arkansas, I'm like, Tommy Schmier's out in Aspen skiing. Yeah. Well, you got to pay you a turkey skiing. hunter before a duck hunter? So, no. No, I wasn't. So, I really didn't get into duck hunting until until college or or, or turkey hunting. I was a deer hunter forever because that's like all I, that's all like my dad did and my family did. They were just deer hunters. And now I can't stand deer hunting. I think it's the worst thing ever. <laughs> I mean, it's fun, you know, fill the freezer, do whatever you, you just do. don't have patience. But like, I hate the sit there and wait aspect. Right, yeah. Whereas like with ducks and geese or turkeys, like you can communicate with them. You can like get in their zone. You know, it's I mean? a lot of action. And My it's, dad calls it's, it's it when you get in a good shoot. It's it's like an arcade. It's like an arcade game. Just birds nonstop coming in. You know, it's like your dad's talking about like all the noise and the the lighting and the you know Pac Man's going off and Donkey Kong and ski balls going on and yeah, that's it's it's a good analysis. Well, your dad is a game guy though. Your dad loves games. Like every time I'm around him, he's always like, "Come do this, Elise, and you got to come over here to this." And you know, your dad your dad loves. Big promoter. He likes games. He's just like that guy that, and, and I think waterfowling is a, a really difficult game to become legitimately successful at. I truly feel that deer. I'm not saying that that deer hunting isn't difficult with a bow and you're trying to you know precise, but and sheep hunting at ten thousand feet for a bighorn or a doll sheep or a stone or mountain goat hunting or this and that. No, just, all that's you know, just different. It's all different, but it's there's different. to get consistent success as a waterfowler. Mm-hmm. It's so intensive. It's yeah. so difficult to get on them and stay on them and have the right arsenal and the right gear and understand your gear and the calling and the dog work and all of that. It's a very intensive. Well, that's what attracts me to it. Turkey hunting's cool. Don't get me wrong, it's cool, but it's nothing compared to waterfowl hunting, in my opinion. Like, I get it. You cut a turkey at 10 a.m. and he's coming off his first hand, he's going to take a nap. That's my favorite kind of hunting. 
go run and gun them at 10 a.m. I'm not a big roost guy. I don't like be getting there in the dark and hoping they fly down and come in. I like getting there and and cut. What's that? I love that stuff. It's, you love it all. I love that. I love turkey hunting, too. But I like but pulling we, the trigger more than once. You know, like, <laughs> pow, okay, we're done. Dude, there's, I mean, like, there's... Like, today, like, shooting, you know, a couple boxes of shells, like, it just feels good. Oh, pulling yeah. The trigger. No, like, I'm, I'm so totally happy. Totally agree. Like, and I think that's why I love clay shooting. I love duck hunting. Anything I can just keep pulling the trigger year-round, mm-hmm. like, I'm in. Okay, I'm going to ask yeah. you guys just an off-the-cuff question really quick. I'm talking fast. This is not a commercial. I want to know your exact opinion 100% on Black Cloud after you've seen it perform today and the previous days in Kansas. Go, Blake. Well, we had very minimal crips today, so that just shows how hard they hit. Yeah. And there were some shots that after the flock was heading out, there was a couple Hail Marys that I'd say they were a little out there, but you know, you already shot two shots. Like, let's just fire the third, right? And they came down. Right. And it came down hard. So I really liked how consistently uh, well those those shells hit the birds. Tom, you got a little longer to think about it, but go on Black Cloud. Hammer. It's a hammer, huh? It's a hammer. It's great. It patterns and it's it's, it's just hammer. It I mean, there's, it, yes, you did it justice. But like, if you can think hammer, of a duck being turned inside out, like without being turned inside out, that's what it does yeah. to a duck. What I was really concentrating on today was lead in the swing and we're going to do another podcast before we leave canada we might even do one tonight depending on your guys's uh energy level because i'm fired up but i want to go blake's a professional shooter and he understands the cheek the rib the dominance of right eye left eye the swing the the shot pattern the shot string your your beat and what what it's really doing uh, there, I, I i just hunted with a group of some new hunters and i would sit and watch and just analyze like we take a lot of shit for granted and shotgunning, like you do it so much, and you're just like it becomes fluent to you. You're just like, boom! It's athletic. Mm-hmm. It's like you swinging a baseball bat. Yeah, it's, you know, mus- it's, it's muscle you know, memory. It's muscle memory. Yeah. And when you see somebody that doesn't do it a lot and they're new to it, and you have to get them to the point to where they're going to actually like, be figure it out. Figure it out. It's yeah. it's a difficult, difficult task. Mm-hmm. Shotgunning is so intimidating yeah. because you. It's kind of like golf for me. Like I won't practice golf because I don't have enough time to get good at it. You have to put so many hours into it. So shotgunning and hunting was my thing. Like mm-hmm. after I quit playing baseball, I'm like, I'm going to become a better shooter. I'm going to become a better hunter. It takes a long time and a lot of lessons to get to the point to where you can just pull up and whoop, notice a shot right to left, left to right, overhead, down low, swinging, transitioning from your first kill to getting on another duck and yeah. figuring out where, where, where's here. That's one he of going? the hardest things to do. Yeah. And these new it's hunters, like what, I, yeah. I watch these new guys and I'm like, and they were all good sports, but man, you're just like, man, they're going to go a long time without mm-hmm. being able to go. They, they're going to have to go to the sporting clay range and then they're going to have to figure out adrenaline and the hunt part of it. It takes a while. So sure. I, I want to do another podcast about shotgunning because today I was really concentrating on little things, breathing, posturing, sitting up and being quick and getting into your gun quick and getting on the target. Like there's a lot of things that you can work on during the hunt that you do it the first two or three flocks, and then all of a sudden you're like, all right, I got this. Safety off, boom, boom, boom. And you're and, and it becomes I'm not gonna say like riding a bike because every target is different, but I want to I want to go over one thing real quick before we end this little discussion on tonight's hunt. Thank you, Dave Stanley. Thank you, Alan Stanley. This is amazing in Alberta today. Thank you to everybody. It's at um with Luke Williams and Carly. They they're our camera crew, they did amazing. But shotgunning, real quick. When you're in that position that we were tonight, you're laying on your back in a little bit of a slant position with, you know, you're sitting up a little bit like a recliner, right? Like a beach chair. You're at the beach and you got it up a little bit and you're having your Mai Tai at the beach. That's kind of what these chairs were like. Okay. You drink Mai Tais, Tommy. <laughs> yeah, sure do. <laughs> what is the number one thing in that position? For me, you're teaching me. Well, I think you have to mount the gun a few times, get used to coming up. Like before the birds are even coming, practice getting that gun to the shoulder. Practice, you know, as if it was a real situation of birds coming in. Don't wait for a bird to come in and figure it out. So practice it. But also you got to realize you got no waist, right? You got no uh, lower body to swing, right? So you're going to use a lot of arms, right? So your, your mechanics are going to be different than when you're in a pit or shooting uh, clays on a sporting clays range. So, right? So it's a little tighter. So you just got to uh, practice a little bit, right, pre-mount, and, and, and kind of learn as you go if you've never done it before. I haven't had much experience, but I knew that I'm going to have to be more of an arm shooter than using my whole body in these shots today. What was your opinion, Tommy? That was a great answer with Blake. What was your opinion 
of your shooting today? Because I, I assume you're not in that position a lot in flooded timber. You're definitely not. Yeah. You said you never laid in a dry field before. Um, you've laid in a ground I've laid blind. In a field. Have you laid in the field in a ground blind? I've laid in a field. Yeah. I mean, I've laid in a field like we were today. It wasn't dry. It was Arkansas snow goose conservation season, but it wasn't dry like that. But I think for me, and I messed this up, the first group that came in today, I totally pulled up and whiffed. And what I didn't do is I didn't take my time. And I think a lot of people, like when the shot gets called, you get a little bit of trigger happy and you want to pop up and just shoot, shoot, shoot. I don't think that's the best way to go about it. I, I think that what you need to do is when you pop up, you need to make sure you're, you know, you're down on the gun, you take your time. And even if everybody around you is shooting, there's still going to be birds that are flying around that haven't gotten shot at yet. I think you need to take your time, get on on the gun, get down on it, pay attention, and just pick out your shots as opposed to just pulling up and shooting as fast as you can. I agree with that because I, I see a lot of people that miss that first shot as they come up. Right. And I feel like they just that adrenaline's coming, the birds are working, they're excited, yeah. and they get that gun up so quick that they kind of just shoot and they miss. And then it wasn't until that second shot where they kind of took that split second yeah. to just really make sure that they're where they need to be, whether their cheek or their shoulder, or getting an extra look at the bird and say, you know what, this thing's crossed and i got to give it some lead. Yeah. But there's so many shots that are missed on the first shot that mm-hmm. – if they took that split second on the yeah. first shot, you just take your now time. we're talking doubles, triples, yeah. right? You're going to hit more birds. And now taking your time even it comes in almost more important than mm-hmm. when you miss your first shot, then what sets in? Panic. Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly. when you have to go, whoa, yeah. stay out of that rush mode, mm-hmm. get your breath. Especially regain if your, people watching you. Regain your composure. Yeah. And now I got to get on that target and, and acquire that target. Mm-hmm. After I transition to it, you got to acquire it. And now you got to figure out, all right, where does my muzzle need to go? Yeah. And that's what people don't understand is that just because the bird's right there, that's not where you pull the trigger at. No. And that's the difference in rifle shooting unless you're doing a running shot, which sure. I've seen some tremendous running shots. But most of the time, rifle shooting is broadside, standing still. That's still target. Still target. You got archery, to shoot Archery is almost, uh, I mean, 100% unless you're. Unless you're like Fred Eichler shooting a sporting clay, yeah. you know, or I, I don't, I, I honestly shun down on shooting at waterfowl flying with a, with a bow. I think it's unethical. I'm a hundred percent against archery turkey hunting. <laughs> I know people are going to call in and go, bah, 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 but I'm a, that's one bird that was born to be shot with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Truly in my opinion, but everybody's entitled to their opinion. If it's legal, go do it, but just do it right. Don't yeah, cripple them do things. Right. They don't deserve that shit. That's the thing. Do it right. But that's the thing is that shotgunning, and I wanted to end this conversation if we are going to end it. I love this stuff. Don't you, Tommy was a little nervous, and he did really, really good on this. I mean, yeah. when you're in the wolf pack, like, you have your wolf pack card, right? It's, like, if you get pulled over and they're like, let me see your ID, and you show them a wolf pack card, <laughs> you're good. Like, right. Yeah, I think tonight you showed signs of the leader of the wolf pack. I think you did. Yeah, no. No way. Yeah. I think, I think no you're moving way. on up. Not even close. Oh, yeah. I think if it was a flight of geese, you'd be at the front of the V. Do you know why one side is longer in a V when they migrate? I do, but remind me. There's more geese on that side. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you have fun tonight, Tommy? It was, your first, it was your first ever hunt in Canada. You're 29 years old. I want to think when I first came to Canada. I'm 48. So in 2000. How old was I? 23 years ago. 48 minus 23. 25? Mm-hmm. So I was a little bit younger than you when I first came. Yeah. Oh, he looked like a kid in a candy, candy store today. I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. I look over just, and your eyes, giddy. You're, you're smiling the whole time. I was giddy the entire time. I was too, but. Isn't it cool, though, how that flight never quit? I mean, it it's went, insane. it just well, kept going. There, by insane. the time we got the birds being picked up, it's like, get back, get back, more birds are it coming. It wasn't even like, we didn't even get the birds that we shot picked up before like the next group showed up like you know Duff would be out picking up a bird and you'd be trying to like give him hand signals and there'd be 20 more ducks and still, still what, what, is, what is your opinion on that that's part of the hunt that's important to me that dog yeah. has worked his ass off to mm-hmm. get to the point to where he understands yeah. whistles and, and, and hand signals you know casting everything that goes into tr- dogs yeah. you don't do that dog justice if you just rush back in and get in it's like that's part of the hunt. If you're up out well, of your and, lawn and, and you're hold on go ahead, go ahead. and you're and you're doing that and you're yeah. letting that dog showcase his or her talents. Mm-hmm. That's what they're put on this earth to do. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you expect them to go back and do it ten minutes later when you finally go, All right, do you remember that bird from ten minutes ago? No, yeah. they don't remember it. And now then, you have to absolutely get them on a blind. Yeah. 
which is difficult unless they're highly trained. Mm -hmm. And what is your opinion on that? Do you rush back into the blind or do you let that dog be the all-star? It depends if the bird's crippled. I mean, if a bird's crippled, then, you know, we're going to get this bird back to the blind you know, and, and figure this out, you get, get, get it crippled. done, right? Yeah. But if if the bird's stone dead, you know, I'm not against waiting on that, that bird being retrieved. Sure. Let these new birds come no, in. No, 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 wait a minute. I'm not talking about you know it's stone dead and you stay in the blind. I get up, I'm out of the blind, I'm sending Duff on a, on oh, a he's retrieve. Already he's already out there and he's going to get the bird, but mm-hmm. there's two other ones out there and he's going to get ready to go pick up a triple. He's worked his ass off to pick up that triple. He doesn't know that he's not going to, you know, like well, he'll, he's still going to be in a good mood when he picks him up later. But why do we just have to rush back and get in? It's like, what, we don't think we're going to get another opportunity? I don't know. The times today, I felt like when the dog was out, you look over, there's 50 mallard or yeah. 50 specs. Why do you think they always come when you piss? Emotion, the movement. Terry Demon always <laughs> yeah. talks about it because yeah. they see I mean, movement. it's it's like, yeah. Let the dog do his thing. But the thing about the dog is, like, he doesn't understand that there's more ducks or geese coming. He doesn't, like, get that. Like, his mission is to get to there and pick up the birds that you've already shot. He doesn't care what's going on around you. We're sitting there looking around at the next one. And to your point, like, we don't think that there's more coming, like, but there might not be. You know what I mean? And, like, we don't know that. And that's, like, that's probably a fault to us that, like, it could be the last group of ducks or geese that shows up. You know what I mean? Like, it could be. Yeah, but and my, I, and my I question is, my... I think we just get excited. We're in the moment. We're excited that, like, we have an opportunity at these animals. You know what but, I mean? Okay, let, let me try to put it in our perspective. First flock comes in. I say, get him. Tommy sits up, gets to kill two ducks. Blake sits up. Next five flocks come in. I just, no, you guys don't get up. You don't get to hunt. Just stay, just lay there and watch. Just lay there. You're not in this hunt. It's kind of the same thing. That dog has worked countless hours to get to that point. And That's I understand, but I understand we can always send him later, but it's not the same. He's look, his eyes, he spots the ducks. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Take him. Boom, boom, boom. Duff, Duff, get back in here. Get back in here. Come on. Birds are coming. It's not fair to him. It's a weird analogy. It's a weird yeah, thought process. That's but what that, I'm saying. That dog deserves to be in that moment, too. And he doesn't understand that there's other ducks or geese coming. He doesn't get but, that. But if it's a short retrieve, he has no idea. I'd say let the dog go get the bird because a lot of these birds aren't flaring off the dog. So let the no. dog go get the bird. Hey, we'll start calling. But on a long retrieve, that's where you decide, okay, do we bring Duff back or your yeah. dog back? Or do we let him go out there and get the bird? But at the same time, I mean... I don't think these birds are flaring much off of the dog or, hey, we're picking up decoys of birds that are coming. And so, you know, these birds are so new up here in Canada. You know, they, I'm not even sure they know what a human is. And so, especially in Arkansas, in the woods, everybody's dog is a black dog. So, like, the ducks, like, can't see it from up above. And, like, say you shoot into a group of ducks, kill some, the dog's out there swimming around. The next group of ducks that's coming in, they see the ripples on the water of the dogs swimming around, and that honestly like brings those ducks in. It helps for sure. Yeah, for sure. But it's like that's another thing that we need to talk about because like once that happens, the dogs out there, so you can't shoot at the ducks that are coming in because we're going to talk about that as we start part two of this podcast right here at the Foul Life. <laughs> Benelli's the Foul Life, Alberta, Canada. We're here. Blake Famey of the Martinez Gun Club, Tommy Miller of Jack Daniels. We're with our good friend, Dave Stanley, his brother, Alan. We're going to cook duck tomorrow. We're going to have a big time up here in Canada, north of the border. The first time I've been back, excuse me, since the pandemic. I came every year from 2000 to 2019. Then old Trudeau said, not today. I never got the vaccination. I never got to cross the border, but I'm back. I'm here. I don't have anything in my system. Never got the shot. Don't care if you did or not. I'm just glad to be with my brothers and sisters in Canada. It was great to see Grant Kuypers and Buck Paradise in Saskatchewan. Then we made the trek over here to Killam, Alberta. We're with Dave Stanley. I'm fired up. We're going to head back to Saskatchewan and hunt with my other good buddy, Barkley Fisher, in a couple days. We're going to start part two of this podcast. Coming up next on the next episode of The Foul Life, we're going to let Tommy continue to tell us about ripples on the water, Arkansas, Black Labs, why they matter. We're going to talk about why Arkansas duck hunters choose the black lab variety over the yellow or the not-so-good hunting dog, the chocolate lab. I know y'all are going to write in and say, who are you to tell me that a chocolate lab is not legit? I'm just saying, 
Have you ever seen a good chocolate lab, Tommy? Be honest. What did you just do? Uh, no. Yeah. You did thumbs I down. Have. You have? Okay, we're oh, going to yeah. talk about Blake's. Emma Lou and Kahlua. Okay, we're going to talk about Blake's experience with Chocolate Labs. Blake My good buddy one. Brad Arrington that owns Mossy Pond Lodge <laughs> and Retrievers in South Georgia, he told me why. There's just not that many good bloodlines out there. Thank you all for listening to the Foul Life Podcast. We're fired up for it. we got so many great episodes coming up this fall, this winter. We're going to talk to every single person that we hunt with in camp. At least we're going to try to. And we're going to have Grant Kuypers coming on the podcast soon. And Grant is a hoot. Thank you all for listening. We're going to be right back with another episode with Tommy Miller, Blake Famey. I'm Chad Belding. Thank you all so much for the downloads and subscriptions. Please go leave us a review. Critique us. Do you like listening to this? Does the host talk too much? Does the host talk too fast? Does Blake Famey talk about things that he doesn't understand or know about pick him apart does tommy have a nice voice if you guys can see this man's mullet and his flowing locks of hair i am jealous as a mofo of tommy miller's hair i'm gonna take a picture right now we're gonna put it on the foul life website this is what me and blake want as far as hair goes hold on tommy pose for the picture smile Turn your head a little bit so they can see. Look at that freaking hair. You'll see that on thefowllife.com. Thank you all for being here. We'll be back right back with part two. Tommy Miller, Blake Famey, Chad Belding. Stay tuned. Don't miss the explosive waterfowl action on this broadcast of The Foul Life, the Canada edition. A, be sure to stream it on SoundCloud, iHeart, Spotify, thefowllife.com, or your preferred streaming platform. God bless you, and God bless the hunter. We have some unbelievable dogs. Axel, Slash, Duff, Izzy. Yeah, they're all named after the original lineup of Guns N' Roses. The greatest rock band of all time. And we feed them Yukonuba premium performance. This diet is amazing. You want to talk about a happy dog? You look at a bunch of duck hunters in Arkansas after the morning hunt and they go into Mr. Billy Bogey's breakfast at Prairie Wings. That's what these dogs look like. Their tongues are hanging out. I mean, they're panting. They're like, Mr. Billy Bogey, I got to have some of that fried bologna and those fried eggs. I got to have some of those grits and sausage and bacon. He doesn't cut corners and neither does Yukonuba. Our dogs are so happy. They're so healthy. They're so energetic. They're powerful. They're machine-like. It's amazing to see how these dogs perform when they're being fed right. And the science and dedication behind the Yukonuba diet is second to none. This is not just a passion project. This is something that we needed in this space. Our dogs deserved better and Yukonuba delivered for the duck dog, sporting dog, upland dog, pointer. It doesn't matter what kind of dog you own. Your dog is going to perform better and your dog is going to be happier eating a Yukonuba diet. The official dog food of the Foul Life podcast and the Foul Life TV. It's Yukonuba. Get you some today. Make sure that you train transition it correctly but i promise you you're going to see different results their personality their performance it's unbelievable thank you all for supporting yukonuba premium performance dog food when it comes to setting up the perfect spread there's one crucial element motion ducks have sharp eyes and static decoys won't fool them for long that's where motion decoys step in bringing your spread to life and creating an irresistible scene so why are motion decoys so important ducks are social creatures and they see cues that signal safety for landing by adding motion to your spread you're telling passing flocks that it's all clear and inviting them to join the party mojo's spinning wing decoys emulate the flash of duck wings from afar to draw them in and finish them like magic. Mojo's decoys are specifically designed to catch ducks' attention, and Mojo's motion decoys shine on those calmer low wind days when natural water movement is lacking. So if you're serious about bringing ducks to your blind, embrace the power of motion decoys with Mojo and head for MojoOutdoors.com today. Cuts like a knife. I think that was Brian Adams. Stay sharp. Sharp dressed man, that was Billy Gibbons and ZZ Top. Kershaw. Knives. They are all about staying sharp, staying safe, getting that meat off the bone, getting those breasts off that breastplate of those Canada geese, those specks with skin on, pluck a few feathers off, and then cut it out. Let the knife guide you. A little bit of pressure with your offhand, just slicing through it. A sharp knife is everything. There's so much more danger that comes with using a dull knife and not staying sharp. Kershaw supports the American hunter, the American fisher, the conservationist, the gatherer, the provider. Our recipes, every single one of our kitchen knives, hunting knives, fishing fillet knives, are all Kershaw. We truly believe in 
the culture of Kershaw Knives and their messaging, and they support brands like the Foul Life Podcast and the Foul Life TV. See them in action right now on brand new episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life, airing right now exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. We try to show the knives in action every week on different episodes when we're taking that meat, that bounty of those ducks and geese from the field to the processing, to the Traeger, to the table, eating that bounty, high-fiving, maybe a little bit of Jack Daniels or red wine or a bush light beer. It doesn't matter. Stay safe out there. Enjoy it in moderation, but don't be afraid to celebrate the hunt. And also, always having a Kershaw knife in your blind bag and being ready for anything that might come, whether you got to cut some grass or cut some parachute cord or cut some salami in the blind. They make saws. They make fillets. They make folding knives, straight blade knives, pocket knives. Every single blade that comes out of the Kershaw factory is guaranteed to be the sharpest. It's an unbelievable experience. Thank you, Kershaw. Thank you, Dominic. There are family and knives right at Kershaw, the official knife and blade of the Foul Life podcast and the Foul Life TV. Thank you all for supporting Kershaw Knives. The Foul Life's broadcast time for today has come to an end. So, like, yes, I want to, like, go experience all of these places and, like, what duck hunting and geese hunting has to offer. But at the same time, like, I just know I'm missing out at home. Thanks to Deemer Box, Realtree and Vortex Optics, Chad Belding, Blake Famey, and Tommy Miller will conclude their Canada waterfowl pursuits next time on The Fowl Life, the Canada edition. Make sure to follow along on their adventure at thefowllife.com and to stream every episode on SoundCloud, iHeart, and Spotify, or or your preferred streaming platform. Hunt hard, drink responsibly, and thanks for listening.